What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael Pina of SB Nation. Michael, normally I might ask you what's up, how you're doing, what's going on, but uh, I think I already know the answer on this one. Yeah, uh, I think we both have experienced better days. Um, we record this t- less than 24 hours after the NBA suspended its season for the first time ever. Uh, this is completely uncharted water, man. It really is. Um, you know, the the email came out. I think a little, a couple hours after. Frankly, I was expecting it. Now, just to reset and recap for everybody, the NBA's board of governors met by teleconference on Wednesday, and there had been a few days of lead up to this meeting, and kind of all day Wednesday, I was expecting them to sort of announce a decision about were they going to remove fans from the arenas and try to keep playing the games? Were they going to delay or suspend the season? How are they going to go forward in the wake of the coronavirus? And out of that meeting actually came no resolution. And I was very surprised by that. Uh, It it felt to me like that meeting had been set up and and teed up to be an opportunity for kind of aggressive and, uh, you know, forceful leadership from Adam Silver. You know, he could potentially become the first, uh, you know, major professional commissioner to take a stand. Uh, the, the NCAA actually earlier in the day had shut fans out of its March Madness tournaments, which is no small move. Uh, earlier that same day, the World Health Organization had officially declared the coronavirus a pandemic. You know, Donald Trump was set to address the nation from the Oval Office. It seemed like all of the momentum in terms of the response of the coronavirus was heading a certain direction and that the NBA would be sort of riding that wave. Instead, they said, basically, we have no decision. We're going to punt this thing until Thursday. And I was really surprised, Michael. And, uh, you know, not two or three hours later, uh, after they didn't make a decision, the decision was made for them. Because moments before the Oklahoma City Thunder at Utah Jazz played uh, in Oklahoma City, it became clear that Utah Jazz center Rudy Gobert had tested positive uh, for the coronavirus. Uh, That set off a very chaotic and and somewhat scary scene in Oklahoma City where players are being held in locker rooms and administered tests. Uh, We found out on Thursday morning that a second player, Donovan Mitchell, who had obviously come in contact with Rudy Gobert in the locker room and so forth in recent days, had also tested positive. It sounds like no one else from the Jazz at this point has tested positive, so we do know there are two confirmed cases. But of course, this was the nightmare scenario where you know mm-hmm. one player is infected and now you have to play the game of, well, how many people has he come in contact with in his own organization? How many opponents has he come in contact with? How many people have those opponents come in contact with? And pretty quickly you're realizing this thing could spread uh, you know, rapidly. So at that point, the NBA's hand was forced. They had to suspend the season. It is an indefinite suspension. We're about three quarters of the way through the regular season. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, roughly, you know, 16 to 20 games left for most of these teams. Uh, will they ever be played? Uh, we don't know. And will the playoffs take place? Uh, we don't know. Now, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban uh, was, you know, kind of floating out this proposal or this idea that, Perhaps if it's a delay of roughly two months, you could try to play the uh, the finals in August, uh, and that way you would at least be able to salvage, you know, a champion. You would be able to salvage some television revenue. Uh, it wouldn't just be a completely lost cause. But I do think it's important for context's sake here to to realize. I mean, this is a hit that runs into the nine figures from a financial standpoint. Uh, you're talking about lost game revenue of at least a million dollars and up to $3 million for basically every single home game 
that has been postponed, and that's before you even get to the playoffs, and that's before you factor in, uh, you know, television revenue and the like. I mean, it's a situation where, you know, that a million to three million is applying to ticket sales and merchandise and parking and, and concessions, um, and there's a lot more that goes into the NBA's, uh, you know, financial picture than that. So, you know, it's the equivalent of a, a nuclear bomb, you know, from a financial standpoint for the league. It's a very scary health crisis for these individual players and also other players um, who have come across uh, the Utah Jazz here over the last 10 days or so. And it really brought the league to a halt. I'm curious, Michael, where were you when you found out last night? And did you share my surprise that the NBA didn't act a little bit more quickly? Um, well, I was sitting on my couch, just kind of scrolling through Twitter. I got all the notifications that Rudy tested positive, that the season was canceled, that Tom Hanks has it, like, all in a 30-minute span. And it was very bizarre because I was watching the ESPN telecast and the Dallas Mavericks and Denver Nuggets were still playing a game and the New Orleans Pelicans and Sacramento Kings were up on the doubleheader and the game was not canceled yet. And it, it's like that game was going to play unless the Pelicans refused to, which is apparently what happened because of a referee who uh, had uh, previously refed a Utah Jazz game, and there was obvious concern. So the ripple effects are huge. Um, for me personally, like on our last episode, I was joking about being in the Utah Jazz locker room and dapping up some of their players and uh, having conversations with them. And like for me personally, like I had to call my doctor this morning, and they told me to self-quarantine for 14 days. So... The ripple effects are just, I mean, they're, they hit a lot of people, and obviously this is so much larger than two NBA players contracting it, but just looking at it from that scope alone, you can see how widespread it can become and how quickly things can un- unravel, really. Um, well, that's so, absolutely terrible news, Michael. I hope for your health and safety and for everybody else around you. Um the only good news is the podcaster lifestyle is already sort of a self-quarantine. So <laughs> yes. not, not a major change, I think, in your day-to-day life, hopefully. Um, but, you know, that that really hits home hard, you know. And it also tells you how interconnected this league is, right? I mean, it, it really doesn't take very long if you play the game of the, uh, this team, play these guys, who then played these guys, who then played these guys. You get to all 30 teams uh, very quickly, and it doesn't even take like a 10-day period. Um, you know, it's it feels like this massive, giant corporation enterprise, but in some ways it, it really is, you know, fairly tight-knit and small. And, and this was, of course, the NBA's just, you know, gigantic concern. I'm wondering, though, in hindsight, Michael, you're talking about these canceled games in Oklahoma City uh, and Sacramento. Should they have ever allowed the fans to go into those buildings? Was And the, the part that really struck me was when the Oklahoma City Thunder's public address announcer came on and told everybody the game was going to be postponed. And he said, don't worry, you're safe. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, every single public <laughs> health official has told us don't have gatherings of more than a thousand people. And some people would even bring that number down to gatherings of more than 250 people. And here's, you know, 10 or 15,000 people hanging around waiting for this basketball game, being told that they're safe, uh, even though that, you know, you could argue that's factually untrue. Um, Not to mention the optics for the NBA where, uh, you know, they're trying to make deliberate decisions and thoughtful decisions about the course of the season. And they're winding up having, 
one health and medical professional sprinting onto the court to tell the game referees about a positive test and then everybody's being sent to the locker room and those players are being held in the locker room for hours after the postponement. Is this how we do business now? I mean, was this not avoidable to some degree? Um, there, there couldn't have been a consensus or a resolution coming out of that meeting that at least would have limited the exposure to the fans and prevented uh, those types of situations. Uh, I'm just asking the question. I don't know if you agree or disagree with me on that, Michael, but I just feel for... Oh, bet. I, yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. I think the messaging on this, uh, as it relates to the NBA's decision-making and how they've gathered information and how they've dispersed it to the public and their fans has been uh, just bungled, uh, to be frank. I mean, I, I don't understand why games were being played after, you know, in San Francisco, they said that any, gath- and in other states, um, that any gatherings over a thousand people would be strongly advised against. And you say, okay, we're going to, we're going to combat that by playing the games in empty arenas. And it's like, obviously that's not, that's not how this works. I mean, I, I don't understand how, like any March Madness is going to happen. I just don't understand how any of these events are still scheduled to take place with what we know about how easily it spreads. I mean, you could go to a to dinner and pick it up if you're a player and then you all of a sudden you spread it to another player. It just it's the the dominoes just fall so fast with this and I just don't think anybody understands because the messaging has just been atrocious on the NBA's level and just widespread throughout the country. And we're on a path that's not following the countries that have been able to limit the number of new diagnoses per day. And ours is rapidly escalating still, and people are not taking it seriously, and I really wish they would. Did it feel like, though, Wednesday was a tipping point in that regard, where it just kind of got really real for a lot of people? Because I felt like it was kind of back of mind for months, you know, we were even kind of making, or at least I was making casual joke references to it here, maybe as recently as a week ago. And then for me, you know, I got kind of a lecture from a couple of uh, medical professionals over the weekend, because I had been traveling in Minnesota. And, and one of them was telling me like, bro, what are you doing? You know, like, are you an idiot? <laughs> I mean, another one was saying, look, like the NBA is their hand is going to get forced here within the next few days, because the way that the the growth curves that you're describing are progressing it's just like no longer going to be feasible to have these kinds of math ga- mass gatherings. And so that was somewhat of a prediction, but it was an educated prediction on, on that uh, professional's uh, opinion. And that opened my eyes. It kind of shook me awake and definitely made me think like, okay, it's time to get home and you know get back to that self-quarantine home office lifestyle um, and you know try to limit exposure as much as possible. But it did seem like for a lot of people, maybe Wednesday was the day that was different. Would you agree there? Yeah, I definitely would. And I think it's, yeah, it's it was the tip of the iceberg moment for, you know, it's like when you see a, something happen to a celebrity or someone that you know, all of a sudden it hits home at, at a different way than... Uh, you know, a statistic will where it's like, oh, uh, 92 people have tested positive for the coronavirus in the same city I'm in. But that doesn't seem like a lot because I live in a city with millions of people. That's just like not how this is working. And all the science behind it is very scary and how it spreads. And if you listen to health professionals, um, 
and what they have to say about it. Like, I just thought, I just think that the the whole thing should have been taken uh, with a much more caution than we've seen. And well, Michael, I, I mean, I, I love your insight on this, so I'm going to push you even harder and get ready. Uh, did the U.S. government did their initial messaging here over the last couple of months? <laughs> <laughs> contribute to the problem in other words um no question did they, no question did they allow organizations like the nba to put this on the back burner or to sort of wait for government action to move because i do think an important part that i left out was on uh wednesday morning the city of san francisco said okay golden state warriors we're stepping in here you can't keep holding these games you know we recommended last week that you stop holding games you kept holding games with fans so now you don't get to hold games at chase center with fans anymore period and they reached that agreement golden state came out and had a press conference saying look you know we're going to abide by this and uh, we're going to go empty with the arena and and they said well we expect other teams around the league are probably going to do that too and then ultimately the the season was postponed but that was the first domino to fall was actually from sort of governmental pressure and intervention. And I'm wondering, like, because it's a for-profit business, because they're making uh, millions of dollars every extra day that the season goes on, that if the incentives weren't so strong for them to sort of take a wait-and-see approach here and had the government been pro more proactive, whether private businesses uh, would have taken a different tact. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the government for sure dropped the ball here. Um, and I mean, you just look at it from like one example of it is just the of the availability of getting tested. Um, I, I, I'm speaking firsthand with a phone call I just had with my doctor about it. And they basically told me, like, we don't we're not at the point where we can test people who have just been around someone who has the coronavirus. The, the, the solution there is to self-quarantine. And that's basically because they don't have enough tests and they don't want to overload the system. They still have to mail them to the CDC in Atlanta and it takes 48 hours to get a result back. So like that alone is jarring and terrifying. And the basically the message is, unless you're sick, unless you're feeling the effect of something that could be the coronavirus, do not come to the hospital. <laughs> like that is, uh, I mean, like what country are we living in that, that it's gotten to that point that quickly? And it's not like this started here. This started elsewhere. There were weeks and uh, weeks to prepare. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's, uh, it's very discouraging to see. Michael, we're all here with you. That's one thing about the Open Floor Globe. We got your back, buddy, okay? We're going to get through this self-quarantine together. We're going to cross our fingers and hope you don't show symptoms. Uh, but, I, I mean, I can hear the, the stress in your voice, man, and I, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm worried about it, uh, not only for you, but for basically the entire country at this point. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, 
a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. I mean, if you had a message after, you know, speaking with your doctor, and, and probably not everybody's had that phone call yet, but if you had a message to our listeners who might be just nervous in general or just coming late to the story or not sure um, how they should proceed with their daily lives, maybe their offices haven't sent them home. I know I've heard from a lot of people, actually, our listeners who have already been kind of sent home from work and told to work from home. Uh, or, you know, in some cases, you know, colleges and universities have moved to remote classes so that people aren't coming together for those uh for that, for that instruction period, I mean, what would be your message to, uh, you know, the, the average listener out here who's maybe concerned about the coronavirus and uh, you know, hasn't taken the steps you have in terms of talking to medical professionals? Yeah, I mean, I'm not one of those people, a medical professional by any stretch, but I would just say that if you can stay home, if you can stay away from people, uh, that would be heavily advised because anything else, to, in my opinion, just feels a little selfish at this point. Now, there are people who are not able to work from home or are not able to take time off because their jobs do not warrant it and they have bills to pay. And I understand that. But the people who, you know, want to, uh, uh, you know, travel to the PGA championship right now or uh, uh, go to a spring training game or go to a concert that is still being uh, being put on for whatever reason, or even like just, you know, I, I don't know, going out to dinner right now. It just doesn't seem like the right move. You could, if you do have it and you don't even know, you could be spreading it or you could pick it up and not even realize you're carrying it and then moving on to someone who is more vulnerable than you are. So I would just, I mean, it's it sounds really bleak to say, you know, isolate yourself, but that seems like the smartest thing to do right now. And that's just, I, I mean... That's what I would suggest, honestly. Absolutely. Limit your exposure as much as possible uh, to you know, situations that are going to be you know, uh, leading to the spread of the disease or leading to you get it. I would also say, you know, talk to your family members because not everybody's on the same page yet. You know? And I'm not going to call my parents out here, but they've been awful cavalier Michael, the last 24 hours. Oh, same, and, same. And so, uh, you know, make sure you're getting through to people in terms of, all right, like, uh, you know, t telling them those best practices that you're describing. I mean, obviously, hand washing is a big one. Um, the hand sanitizer stuff, if you got that, keep using that as well. If you do have to work in public or you have to go into public. But take this thing very seriously because, you know, like you were saying with the celebrities, remember, I mean, NBA players have – almost every possible privilege there is, right? They're flying charter. Um, they have their their meals all prepared for them, right? Um, they've got people, trainers working on their body. They've got, you know, sometimes individualized coaches helping them uh, with the routine. Some of them have stylists and, and publicists and assistants and right down the list. If guys like that can get this disease, everybody's, uh, you know, susceptible to getting it. Um, you know, if they had every advantage, uh, even of the league kind of issuing these memos about how you could reduce the spread and those still didn't work, that should be enough to kind of scare you straight uh, and change your behavior, at least hopefully. Um, Michael, I want to ask you about uh, kind of the million dollar question here, which is, are we going to see basketball before the start of next season, before next year's preseason? Um, do you think there's going to be any way they can salvage some of the remaining games from this regular season uh, and or the playoffs? What do you think? 
I, I don't have a lot of optimism about games continuing just because like the way I view it is if you look at where we were collectively in our attitude toward this, like even three days ago or whenever LeBron said that he was not going to play in front of empty arenas to where we are now, can you like imagine where this is going to be uh, in a week? Because I just don't understand people like Mark Cuban, who I'm sure is more informed about it than I am, even though I just don't think anyone knows anything personally. Um, So when Mark Cuban goes on TV and says, uh, yeah, there's a possibility of games going into August and this will get picked up in April or I just don't know how anyone could say something like that. Uh, The there is no I mean, containment is lost with this thing. It spreads uh, incredibly easily. And people who have it don't even know that they have it because the testing isn't uh, isn't up to par. So I don't know, man. I, I, I don't I don't see you picking up games. And then what if a player suddenly gets coronavirus a week into the the uh, second half of the season? Like, what, what do you do then? Do you shut it down again? Like, I, I just it doesn't seem plausible to me. And then also you have to take into account the athletes and the fact that if you were to take, let's say, six weeks or two months or however long off, uh, it's like these guys are not in peak physical condition. So you're you're giving them that break and then you're asking them to pick it up and then play in the playoffs, I would assume, pretty shortly after that. Like, what is the product even going to look like? Like, I, I'm sure that they're factoring that into the, the decision-making process. And it just seems bleak. Like, I don't mean to be pessimistic about it, but it just I just don't know how this will pick up. Um, I, I think it just will get exponentially worse no, over th- the next few weeks. I think you're being realistic, not pessimistic there. I'm going to paint to you, like, I've been brainstorming, like, how could this possibly work, right? So I'm going to give you, like, the best that I've come up with, and you tell me, you either poke holes in it or tell me you're on board, and we're going to pitch this to Adam Silver, Okay. <laughs> okay. So first of all, we're going to say the rest of the regular season, sorry, doesn't matter. Those games are not important enough to replay. We're scrapping them, okay? So those are out of the equation. We're saying, look, we need to just salvage a championship because these guys have been working all year towards it because there's major stakes involved for the major superstar level guys, whether it's Giannis's first title, LeBron's uh, fourth title, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard's uh, third title with three franchises and, and, you know, Houston Rockets, you know, James Harden's first title. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> there's stakes here, right, Michael? Um, so I'm saying let's either take the 16 playoff teams or possibly let's just take the eight teams that we're going to get home court advantage into an abbreviated playoff format and they make the playoffs, okay? We're going to wait until the summer when supposedly, in general, uh, viruses like this tend to die down a little bit, uh, and they can still pop back up uh, in the fall, but you know, we're going to wait until you know July or August. We're going to pick one neutral site, maybe it's Vegas, um, maybe it's you know whatever other neutral site that we can come up with. All playoff games in this format will be played in one arena, there will be like one uh, game ops. There will be one, uh, you know, television crew broadcasting everything. There will be just, you know, you're eliminating all the layers of supporting apparatus. So you have one building. You won't allow fans in um, and you will restrict it as much as possible to essential team personnel. 
and then you'll sort of play it. Maybe you have to do double headers, maybe you even have to do triple headers to get through the games in the early round. But then you just hold your, uh, you know, playoffs like normal, say over the course of like a five or six week period. If you have to go like, you know, a best of three in the first round or, uh, you know, a best of five in the first round rather, uh, maybe you could try to do that. And at least that way you can crown a champion, salvage something, you know, you're, you're removing all of the travel risk involved with that. You are, um, you know, giving something to your television partners and surely there would be a lot of interest in watching these games. Um, even if it's not the highest quality play, like you're describing, people are going to be jonesing for basketball uh, and they're going to want to see somebody, uh, you know, crowned is what I'm describing feasible to you at all. Michael, are you in on my plan? Do you have any tweaks or modifications or do I sound like somebody just grasping for straws? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's, it's interesting. I don't know how realistic it is, and I don't know how teams that, you know, if I were the Bucks or the Lakers and, you know, you work so hard throughout the regular season to get home court advantage, and then all of a sudden the playoffs are in this neutral site, I don't know how they would feel about that. Um, well, well, let me ask you, the counter would be they would feel worse not being able to play for a ring right now. And I'll be honest, part mm -hmm. of the reason why I'm so sad, I'm sick to my stomach knowing how hard these guys work to go get a title. And I know that's a basketball reason, not a public health reason. And I, I don't want to elevate basketball to the same level as life and death. But I think longtime listeners know, I mean, I take this sport way too seriously, right? And um, just to know there's guys out there like LeBron and Giannis who have had like one focus on their mind, you know, for the last nine months, obviously, but also just generally for LeBron the last 20 years and Giannis the last eight years. There's one thing that these guys truly care about. And now it's going to be taken away from them. The opportunity to compete for that is taken away from them by something that is absolutely outside of their control with basically a moment's notice. I mean, that it just makes me sick to my stomach. I feel so bad for them. And that's why I think if I was in Adam Silver's position, you know, put aside just the financial repercussions or the, the possible benefits of hosting a, a playoff in an abbreviated form, like doing right by my players would be very, very top of mind uh, if I was in his spot. As long as everyone can stay as safe as possible, then I don't see any grand flaw in what you're saying. Um, I think that the, the teams that are, have been you know, they're in a position where they're in the ninth seed or the 10th seed, be it the Pelicans or maybe even the Washington Wizards, teams that think that they have a shot at getting the eighth seed just to tell them all of a sudden that the season is over. would It would be terrible for them, even though, you know, they're not great and they would have no chance to advance regardless. And I think the benefit of even making the playoffs is, you know, you get that revenue money in your home arena. So it wouldn't be like a humongous loss for you either way as an organization. Um, I mean, yeah, I want, I want everyone to be as safe as possible, number one. And then just like selfishly, I, I really want to see playoff basketball, like it, as, as devastating as this is for the players involved and how hard they work. It's like you and I and millions of others have invested a lot of time in watching the regular season because we want to see the playoffs and we want to see the postseason and we want to say who is the champion and who wins MVP and all that. So well, for that to be Michael, taken... <laughs> let, let me make this really clear, okay? And I don't say this often. Look, don't cry for me, Argentina, okay? <laughs> Just because I don't get to watch the playoffs, I don't want any sympathy for that. I mean, I'm right there with all the fans who are bummed out. I'm right there with you 
or who's bummed out. But when we're when we're doing the pecking order of uh, of sympathy here, man, I hope we don't even make the list. I feel bad for myself. <laughs> well, you kidding. should, man. Like I'm actually very <laughs> nervous, and I didn't know before the episode that you had had the, these interactions with your health professional, and you've got me all scared and sad on your behalf too. So, look, you can make the list. Everybody can leave me off the list. Um, no, your point is well taken. This is a community uh, event, the playoffs. You know, and that that extends across the entire globe to every single person who's ever emailed us or listened to this show. Everybody's invested um, in the NBA product having a payoff. And as you mentioned near the top, this is completely unprecedented. I mean, the only things that we really have to compare it to would be labor stoppages, right? But in that case, you're losing the beginning rather than the ending, right? So you're still crowning champions at the end of the season. Uh, Yes, the seasons might be abbreviated, And I guess theoretically it's possible that the NBA could restart here and actually lose fewer games than they lost, you know, like say during that 50-game lockout season. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the narrative power is in the conclusion, as any writer knows, right? Like your your hammer is the Bill Bill Russell on stage with the trophy, handing it to whoever it is, and the owner and and the players holding that Larry O'Brien trophy up. Uh, If you don't have that moment, the whole thing seems so lost and so meaningless. And when you start to think about the kinds of accomplishments guys had this year, you know, again, starting from the top down with Giannis chasing 70 wins, his insane statistics, their great defense, the Lakers going from a laughing stock to the leaders of the West, uh, the Clippers finally starting to put it together now that they were healthy down the stretch, the Rockets like revolutionizing small ball here, um, you know, during the middle of the season, we can go on and on and on. I mean, there's some teams we're going to leave off, like the Brooklyn Nets, no doubt. But there was a lot of good stories this season. <laughs> and uh, to have all of that swept under the rug, it just feels terrible. And again, I go back, I feel bad for the players. I feel bad for the league executives, too. Because we could say officially this is the worst or the toughest, the most trying season in NBA history. Uh, when you're looking at the China crisis to start with Hong Kong, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and the others on the helicopter and now the coronavirus crisis. I mean, those are three uh, incidents where, you know, you're, you're looking at things completely out of the NBA's control that have all made a major, major impact on the way this season has unfolded. And, you know, to be honest, after surviving those three incidents, if I was Adam Silver, I, I might be a little bit stubborn, Michael. I might be like, you know what? We're doing a playoffs. I, you guys throw everything you want at me. I, I'm going to find a way to crown a champion. You know that might be my mentality, but I could also see it going the other way too, where they're just like, "Look, there's, it's implausible. It's it's untenable. We just need to wrap it up and and come back next season." I don't think either one of those approaches is wrong, but I think that first one might be my natural instinct. Yeah, I, I mean, again, like the health of everyone should be the of number one importance and. I don't know if I'm getting a little too over my head here, but I I do wonder just, you know, if the NBA were to take this extended break and people and NBA fans and everyone, uh, you know, kind of adjust to this life that is without the NBA uh, as a part of their, their nightly activity and their routine, and suddenly you strip them of that and they get familiar with uh, a different lifestyle. Like, I do wonder just, if people's perspective about sports and and to say nothing of the NBA, but just professional sports in general and how trivial it all kind of seems right now, what 
impact that will have on interest levels going forward. I just think that this could change a lot of perspectives, uh, just generally speaking. And I mean, we talked a little bit about it in our last episode about slippery slopes and how the league would treat the media after uh, the rule change that they made with regards to us even being allowed in locker rooms and that sort of thing. And I, I just wonder how all of this will affect everything long term and short term. It's a great question. I'm actually, if I was the NBA, I would be a little bit more concerned about the season ticket holder side as compared to the television viewer side or the streaming viewership side, because Mm -hmm. I think content to me, it's like still, you know, especially if you're quarantined, like you're going to want to have something to watch or you're going to want to have something to to listen to or pay attention to, right? Um, Now, Mm -hmm. do people shift from sports to something else? And does that stick? I mean, that, that's an open question, but I kind of feel like there won't be a major difference there. And if they were able to put on the playoffs, but fans couldn't attend, I would actually expect ratings to go up because there's more basketball fans, uh, you know, sitting around wanting to watch these games. Um, the season ticket holder part is very, very interesting because they usually do that on kind of a cyclical calendar, right? Where like you've got to renew before. Uh, for the following season kind of before you even really know what happens and so it's almost like you're uh, you're in a membership program right where you're just like constantly renewing and you're just paying your dues it's almost like if you're paying dues to a college or you're you're paying your annual fee on your credit card or to Costco or whatever else Mm -hmm. and it becomes a habit this is a major disruption to that habit and on top of that you've got fans who can reasonably look around and say wait a minute did the NBA violate our trust by having fans come to those arenas when players were tested, uh, you know, positive. And um, it was such a dicey situation that games had to be postponed uh, last minute. And you've got fans specifically in multiple markets who are going through the experience of going to a game and then leaving and being like, wait a minute, what did I just do? Did I just expose my kids to something that they shouldn't have? And whether or not those fears are founded, those are reasonable feelings to have. And so does it change those people's perspective on it? And then also, you know, going forward, um, does it change on sort of a, a large scale the interest in, you know, committing to season tickets, uh, you know, in that situation? Uh, or does it lead some people to take a step back and, okay, maybe I'm just going to, you know, sit this one out and see how it goes going forward? That would be my concern, I think, if I was, uh, if I was a business side executive in the NBA. Ben, like when I was when you were just talking about uh, people losing the trust of the NBA for potentially uh, putting them at risk uh, for the sake of their own uh, the league's well-being and uh, I guess profits and revenue um, is a huge factor here. Like the first thing I thought of was the mayor in Jaws who refused to shut down the beach at Martha's Vineyard because he didn't want business to get ruined that summer and then like or like pierce brosnan in dante's peak when he's like trying to warn everybody in this town that the volcano is going to erupt and no one listens to him like that is real life right now with it's like it's 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 like unfathomable right and you don't have to be bitten by jaws to be scarred by that decision right i think that's that's sort of the analogy here i mean you can just see a shark parading through the water once and then wonder (laughs) if you ever want to go swimming again right that's that's sort of how it works and um, you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously we're speculating here. We haven't conducted any massive polls of NBA fans about how likely they are to go to a, a, an arena game. And it's quite possible by the time next season rolls around, um, 
especially if they don't play the playoffs, that there's going to be a jonesing effect, right? Of people saying, man, I really miss basketball. I can't wait to go see basketball. And I sort of hope that that does happen. I mean, the next time they play a basketball game, I'll be welcoming it with open arms. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, I'm a little sad this morning, a little, little down, just knowing that who knows when I get to see a game again. And that's rough. And it just feels like it's kind of ripped out of your uh, ripped out of your hands and it was out of your control. Um, I want to shift gears, though, here, Michael. We should talk about the impact on the Utah Jazz, right? Um, and I do think we should talk about Rudy Gobert here in the middle of it. Now, he's becoming already, unfortunately, kind of a punchline uh, on Twitter in terms of being patient zero and, uh, you know, somebody who I think a lot of people already like to mock because he cried over the All-Star game. And, um, you know, he's got kind of a polarizing uh, game where he's he's so valuable defensively, but still in certain places he can be exploited. So, a lot of people like to kind of nitpick his game. How good is he really? And of course, his acolytes hype him up as not only an all-star, but an all-NBA level guy. And and so that leads to a lot of arguments about him online. Um, is this now his defining legacy as an NBA player, even more than the, the Defensive Player of the Year awards, even more than uh, you know rim protection and, and all that? I mean, is, is Rudy Gobert now forever linked uh, to the coronavirus i mean is is that what we're looking at oh uh one thousand percent i mean besides tom hanks rudy gobert and now donovan mitchell are the two most famous people who have the coronavirus correct besides maybe some soccer players in europe like i can't think of anybody else uh I think, who's on that scale i think justin trudeau's wife uh the the canadian prime minister i'm pretty sure his wife got it but you know, i don't even know her name so i guess rudy gobert exactly <laughs> she doesn't have any she hasn't won defensive player of the year yet so um yeah so well i guess i mean let me kind of spin this a little bit differently so if if this is his reputation do you feel sympathy or empathy for him given that there wasn't really much he could do to prevent getting it you know what i mean I, like you can take a lot of reasonable precautions and still become infected uh, well know. okay so i mean i do feel bad for rudy gobert because i'm sure this is the worst day of his life by far and it's very scary i would imagine also to be test testing positive for a virus that scientists don't know a lot about still and you know it's not likely that he will pass away or anything super dramatic from it but it is still super scary so I do have sympathy from from, from that angle. Uh, you just said that you know he it's not his fault for contracting it, and he could have taken all these different precautions. And from everything we know, he was not taking any of those precautions and making light of it. Uh, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN tweets that um, jazz players privately say that Rudy Gobert had been careless in the locker room, touching other players and their belongings. Uh, now a jazz teammate has tested positive, and that jazz teammate is Donovan Mitchell. So uh, that, from that perspective, it's not great for him, and that's not the best look. And I feel for him for that, too, because it's not like he was the only person in the whole world who was taking light of this 48 hours ago. That should not be on him. Um, so it's it just it's a really sucky situation for him for the utah jazz i'm honestly stunned that only two people have tested positive that doesn't really make doesn't seem to make a lot of sense based on everything we do know about this virus um but it is very fortunate i guess that only two of the 50 something who tested um tested positive for it yeah um 
you know, I, I feel a good degree of, of sympathy and empathy for him because the jokes with the microphones that everybody's focusing on where he's like touching all the reporters' microphones beforehand, like, I mean, that was kind of cringeworthy, like when it happened or when I first saw it. But then obviously after the fact, it's just like, come on, dude, what are you doing? But I'm sure he was not the only person. And when you put on top of that, like throughout this week, watching these games, guys are high-fiving, guys are dapping up. Um, you know, they're doing all their normal celebration routines, uh, all their normal starting lineup introductions. Like, No, there, there was that play in a, a recent Laker game after we knew everything about it, after everyone was saying, wash your hands, all that. Like, Anthony Davis hits a shot, licks his hand, and then high-fives Avery Bradley. And uh, they did, like, a slow-motion shot of it on a replay. It was like, what, what are you doing, man? Like, right. <laughs> come on. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, collectively, as a league, the message did not get through about how serious this was, right? And I don't blame Rudy Gobert individually for that. Were there certain patterns of behavior I wish he could have undone, for sure. But I think, as a society, the message didn't get through, really, until the last couple of days, as we've described, too. So I would encourage people to lay off the Rudy Gobert uh, scapegoating and pillaring. I, I'm not sure uh, it's uh, helpful. Actually, I know it's not helpful. And I imagine that the level of guilt and the um, the regret that he feels is stronger than anyone from the outside could imagine. So I wish him the best in terms of his recovery going forward. I do think the question has to be asked, though, Michael. You know, Rudy Gobert was the first to test positive. Donovan Mitchell was the second. Um, that presents, again, an unprecedented locker room dynamic, right? I don't want to ask you to like put yourself in the shoes of someone who was infected by their teammate, but that seems like it would be an awfully natural source of tension within a locker room in terms of, okay, well, how did you get it? What were you doing? Why weren't you taking it more seriously? Now you gave it to me. I think just stripping out the identities of those two players, this is a nightmare for any organization to want to deal with where it's like, okay, like, do we have to trade one of these guys? Do we have to split them up? Are they going to be able to coexist? Is there going to be resentment? Are they going to be able to come together and be understanding about it? How do you manage that interpersonal dynamic? Those are very, very real questions that any professional sports team would need to uh, be able to answer in this situation. And I guess, I'll zoom out and ask you kind of a the bigger picture question is like, can these two guys coexist or is this going to be one of those moments where it's like, look, something has to give here going forward? Yeah, I mean, we don't know the inner workings of their relationship, what their off-court chemistry is like, um, how compatible they are in terms of their personalities and, and you know, do they hang out, that sort of thing. Um, was this, did he give it to Donovan in a joking manner, or was it completely incidental? Um, so from that perspective, it's really difficult to say if this is a fork in the road moment or not, but I I don't know, man. Like, if, if they already were not very close or not, you know, um, did not have the best off-court chemistry and... Like, I, I just don't know. And I, I obviously don't want to speculate. I'm stuttering right now because I don't want to speculate about, hey, they're going to trade one of these guys because the other one is super pissed off. Um, because, you know, there are also just, you know, financial ramifications here with Rudy Gobert being eligible for the Supermax pretty soon. So, um, 
you got to take that into account. And if Donovan Mitchell says, you know, screw this guy, um, he gave me the coronavirus. Like, I, I don't know what you do as an organization there. And that's where culture comes in and culture is so strong and important. Um, so I don't, I honestly have no idea. I don't know how anyone could have any idea right now, except for how, except for Donovan Mitchell and how he's feeling. Yeah, I mean, one thought that came to my mind is like, look at what happens to Russell Westbrook's game when you take the center off the court, right? How much more fun he's having, what his numbers look like, his efficiency goes up, and everything else. If Utah were to do the same thing, and not necessarily go downsize maybe as far as Houston's done, right? But if they were to get more versatile, go with a full-time stretch five around Mitchell, is Mitchell's life better? Do, is his numbers are his numbers bigger? Does he become more of a star? Is he able to thrive in one-on-one situations even more than he already does? I think the answer, you know, pretty strongly to those questions would be yes. And so, you know, I'm not saying okay, well, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Again, I, I have spent a little bit of time around both those guys, not an extensive amount of time, but I just think that this is the type of locker room. Uh, dynamic that is not easily forgotten, right? Not only is the world going to remember Rudy Gobert as patient zero, but all of his teammates are going to remember him, uh, you know, and his behavior, you know, during that time period. They're not going to be able to just forget that. Maybe they can forgive it, but it's never really going to go away. And man, uh, again, that just makes it even harder for him. And that's why I, I guess to a certain degree, I have even more sympathy for him on that because, uh, you know, again, this could affect his playing future, uh, where he plays, with whom he plays, and those kinds of questions uh, are all uh, up in the air in a way they just weren't even 24 hours ago. I love how we are an NBA podcast, and it took until the 45th minute to actually get into nitty gritty X's and O's conversation. <laughs> um, I actually think that. Rudy Gobert is exceptionally helpful to Donovan on the floor, and obviously a stretch five would be uh, would impact his game in a different type of way. But he does have his own type of gravity on those rolls to the basket. He's super unselfish; doesn't need the ball. He's a safety net on the defensive end, and very helpful in that regard. Rebounds that start fast breaks, that sort of thing. So um, I think he's they're fine on court. Their on court chemistry is 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 great, and I don't know how you would even upgrade from it to be honest. Um, so that's my t- that's my take well, about here. Here's my take. Two. It's a little different. I think that he's obviously like the best version of the Utah Jazz right now. He's involved on both ends, right? I mean, of course, the lob finishing stuff, pick and roll finishing, and then sucking people in to create the the open shots in the corner. Like he definitely does that stuff. But I guess my go back to my question is: Is he the best version of Donovan Mitchell's? Uh, you know, version of himself. Another case study could be like Damian Lillard and LaMarcus Aldridge in Portland, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where the Blazers are better if they have Aldridge. They're a consistent playoff team and they're going forward with more talent if he's on the court. But does Damian Lillard reach the Supermax, the All-NBA, perennial All-Star and all that stuff, all, all those accomplishments, does he get there as quickly as he does and stay there as regularly as he does if Aldridge is still in the picture? I think that's kind of an open question. And, and now what does the team look like if you're just completely turning everything over to Donovan and just saying this is Donovan's team? I think it would look different. And frankly, I think it's just human nature. I think a lot of times those guards are happier, right? Like if if things are catered to them a little bit uh, 
uh, more rigidly than than they were before, uh, because obviously Rudy Gobert predates Donovan there in Utah. So you know you're you're kind of joining his team as opposed to uh, the other way around. Yeah, I mean hypothetically, I would say that essentially what you are indicating is that Carl Anthony Towns would be a better fit with Donovan Mitchell than Rudy Gobert, correct? For sure. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question, and I think that the LaMarcus Aldridge, Damian Lillard comparison is interesting, but LaMarcus Aldridge needs the basketball to impact games in certain spots also, and so he's a little different than Rudy Gobert, who basically has zero plays called for him. He sets screens on and off the ball. He does a lot of like thankless activity, um, and he's he makes your life easier on the defensive end exponentially. So uh, it's a it's a really difficult thing to kind of parse, but it is also fascinating. And I do wonder, I mean, I think the Jazz are super high on this duo as kind of the bedrock of their organization, or at least they were 48 hours ago. Uh, but uh, it is interesting just to think about how Donovan Mitchell, who, in my opinion, has been, even though he this was this has been kind of like a breakout year, he made the all-star team and everything, and he hasn't been playing, you know, poorly by any stretch, but he's kind of been a little disappointing to me personally. I expected more out of him, and uh, it is interesting to think about what else he could be or what type of what areas of his game that have kind of either been stagnant or not developed as fast as we anticipated what would have happened what would happen if he had a more modern big man by his side yeah i mean now i'm even picturing like okay let's take away the basketball stuff i mean do you think people are going to be reluctant to high five rudy next year or to interact with him like is there going to be a blackballing aspect to it or does that dissipate if other guys test positive like well yeah i'll just say real quick that i don't think that this is limited this is going to be limited to rudy gobert and donovan mitchell i think other players will contract this virus is is my guess and so once something like that happens or even just other famous people um contract the virus i don't think that those two will necessarily be associated with it as uh as hugely as they are right now yeah i I agree that makes sense i mean it's logical and um i I do think one of the things we've learned over the last couple days is that just because people haven't tested positive for it doesn't mean they don't have it because the tests just aren't bountiful and plentiful enough and once testing increases um you know high profile and non-high profile positives will come through and and the numbers will look a lot different and that will probably shape the perception of everything here although going first i do think you know for rudy is going to wind up keeping him in his kind of his own category compared to whoever else follows Uh, and that is a little bit unfortunate hey michael let's play a hypothetical dream reality um let's say there aren't any playoffs this year let's say the regular season is just canceled and they're not able to uh put this thing back together what is the narrative arc that you were hoping to track the most during these playoffs what's going to grind your gears that you're not able to watch and see what are you going to regret uh, not you know being denied here by this virus when you go to sleep and you know curse out the coronavirus which player <laughs> or or which team is is front of mind yeah i mean aside from 
Jason Tatum averaging 35 and 10 and 5 throughout the first four rounds and leading the Boston Celtics to a championship. I think the big thing that I'm most uh, bummed out about missing is going to be the Clippers-Lakers playoff series. I mean, that's that's kind of been the thing that everybody has been anticipating since Kawhi Leonard spurned the Lakers and decided to sign with the Clippers and he gets Paul George to join him there. I mean, that was a where were you, you kind of remember it moment when you heard about that trade uh, and you heard about that signing. So uh, that's got to be it for me. I mean, those, I mean, over the weekend last, that Sunday, watching the Clippers and the Lakers play, like that felt like the biggest regular season game of the season, or at least the most meaningful one. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that like the the season getting suspended was the end, right? And that, that trade, that late night trade, Paul George and Kawhi, uh, that was the beginning of the season, right? And so again, we go back to this idea of no payoff, and uh, like th- that should be how the 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 arc concludes, right? Like the third act is okay. Did these these guys' master plan work, or did it fail miserably? And uh, you know, unfortunately, we're all going to be left hanging until the sequel. Perhaps I mean that that's kind of my uh, my inkling right now. I mean, I also look at like LeBron's arc here. You know, every title matters for him so much when you're looking at MJ versus LeBron. This idea that the fourth one was a realistic possibility this season and how many more shots is he going to have? Uh, You know, he's playing at an MVP level this year. I would have had him second at this point. Um, But does he come back as the same player at age 36 or 37? Um, you know, you, you could argue this was like his last best shot, quote unquote, given how uh, well the Lakers chemistry has been coming together, uh, how well Davis has been playing in stretches and everything else. And for that to, again, just be hit, you know, the hit the pause button on that is rough. And I really feel for Giannis too, because that loss to the Raptors killed him, killed the Bucks. You know, I talked to their GM, I think in October or November, John Horst, and he was like very blunt with me. He's like, look, we're not over that series, like <laughs> at all. Like it, you know, it's like, you know, really stuck in their craw. And I think that was part of what motivated them to even, you know, be as consistently excellent and dominant as they were this year. It was like they were a team on a mission a little bit and mm-hmm. potentially to be denied the ability to take that next step when you know all the talk pretty soon is going to be about your free agency status and your future, it just puts you in an incredibly awkward position too. Um, so, I mean, those are a few of the ones that I've been thinking about. We can go right down the list. I mean, Westbrook, you know, I feel for Westbrook. Like this was a, a prime opportunity for him to shove it in in the face of guys like me and go out there and win mm-hmm. a playoff series and, you know, make the haters look stupid, um, you know, for lack of a cooler phrase. Um, but you know, you can go right down the list of these different guys. Um, you know, it's, what about even, what about even spinning it in a more positive light where it's like, if you're the, even like the Philadelphia 76ers and you have Ben Simmons back injury, that looks like it would have severely hampered his ability to impact the, the playoffs. And, you know, if this, if the season, is delayed and the playoffs happen in August or whatever it is, and he gets to be in 100% peak condition and Bead is in 100% peak condition, like, what, what if that leads to them in a run to the finals or something like that? I mean, I don't think that'll happen, but it's 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 more likely than not. Yeah, that's, that's a wild hypothetical I hadn't even considered, Michael. And 
even as you were describing it, I was like, this sounds too good to be true. Not even just for the Sixers part, but just like the idea that we're going to be playing games in August. Like I'm trying to keep my expectations low right now because I think my heart has been broken like three separate times by this NBA season. And, uh, I don't want it to happen again. Uh, maybe on that very depressing note, we should leave it. Just as a programming uh, aside, though, Michael, uh, we like I mentioned earlier, we got incredible emails from the Open Floor Globe this week at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We will pick up with those emails next week. And going forward here for us, you know, Michael and I are, are planning to continue, you know, chopping it up about basketball, the latest developments, um, and everything else that's happening like normal with our normal schedule uh, going forward. If there's any changes to that, obviously we will let you know as soon as possible. For, but for right now, uh, I don't anticipate any changes there. So, Michael, please, you know, stick to the quarantine. Uh, you know, don't go around touching other people's microphones. Keep washing your hands. I wish the absolute best for you from a health perspective. I'm sure all of our listeners do too. Um, guys, you can follow Michael on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Viaz and Victor Pina. You can follow me on Instagram at Ben.Golver. On Twitter at Ben Golver. Be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael, until next week, when I'm sure we'll have a lot more to dig through, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.